I think I could do it. I think I could set it up. It's all out in the garage, I think. It's uh, a black and white TV set. I actually have two. I took from my parents' house. Uh, one of them is older and doesn't have any inputs other than the antenna input, which is kind of like one or two of those little, almost little, little forky things you put in and you screw them down. You know that whole thing for the antenna. Uh, this was in the days before cable of any sort, and so you would just have these these screws and this little what would you call it? Like a tine or a, a fork? No, it's just it's like it's like a U a letter U shaped connector. You slide in. You kind of have to hold in there, and then you screw it down, and that connects it to the to TV. Normally, it would just be an antenna, uh, the rabbit ears, uh, etc., type of antenna, um, which I know you can get converters for and stuff. But if we were to attach a, an antenna to a TV today, obviously, you would get a whole lot of static because they turned off analog transmission many years ago. And in fact, on uh, the in the archive here, there was a show where I was recording as they were switching over from analog to digital. Now, at that point, of course, most people had cable television, and it didn't matter. But for those people that were trying to save a few bucks and had TVs with the old rabbit ear antennas, uh, they were out of luck. They had to buy a new digital converter in order to continue watching TV. And the static would no longer be this sort of fuzzy static. It would be digital static, right? Pixelization and things. So around that time, more out of curiosity than anything, I did buy a digital converter, and I have an antenna. So I have this somewhere. I think I know where it is in the garage because there's another TV set, another black-and-white TV, which is a bit newer that has the ever-so-important coaxial uh, connector in the back. You can, you can, the, why were all these connectors so difficult? Now, like HDMI, it's a normal plug. You plug it in. And it, just the way it's built, it has some tension built in, so it sticks until you pull it out. No, no screwing involved. The uh, uh, coaxial, though, involved screwing. Coaxial cable, which is this uh, thick cable, it's, there's, it's still all over my house here, even though we cut the cord. When we bought the house, we tried to get rid of it, but there's coaxial cable sticking out of the ceiling in a closet on the side of the house. This used to be how you got cable television, coaxial cable. I'm assuming it, it it had what two? It had coaxial. It wasn't just axial. It was coaxial. Does that mean there's two axials? Two axes? What the hell does that actually mean? I don't know. Maybe there's there's two wires, like one going in and one going out. Listen, I thought I understood this stuff. Maybe I don't understand it quite as well as I thought. But this one has a coaxial cable, and I do believe. I do believe, if I'm not mistaken, that the um, the converter box I got back in whatever year that was, 2008, I could look it up. Um, maybe we should listen to the moment it happened. I think I could find that. I think it was 2008. Was it 2008? That's a long time ago now. It's 2023 now. Anyway, um, it's a box that you plug in, and uh, then you, I guess you plug in antennas to it and then it has a coaxial going out and I could plug that into the black and white TV I thought it would be so cool just to have a, a black and white TV to watch but I, I realized once I have it am I really going to watch it it would be kind of novel to see like actually what's on TV on the digital broadcast now in 2023 I know like each channel has like a couple of sub channels and I don't know it could be kind of interesting 
Uh, but then I also think there's a remote control with it that I need a battery for probably because I haven't used this thing for such a long time. I'm probably going to open the battery door on the little remote control and it's going to have all that nasty schmutz in there, the, the battery acid and everything because I probably haven't changed the battery in 10 to 20 years or whatever. <laughs> Should I do this? Should I do my black and white TV thing? I want to. I was really thinking of getting a video game to put on there too because uh, the old Atari VCS, a.k.a. 2600, um, had a black and white and color switch, which would actually change the the tone of the uh, graphics uh, if you're using a black and white TV because a lot of the graphics that might look fine on a color television would get all messed up if you had black and white TV. And when Atari VCS came out, or video computer system came out in 1977, uh, people had a ton of black and white TVs back then still, right? Uh, we had a several in our house. I, I remember uh, playing a bunch of Atari games in my bedroom at home, probably in the late 80s, early 90s, on a black and white uh, TV. I forget the whole circumstance. It was kind of cool playing them on, and, and so switching it to black and white. And I did some research, and most of the Atari games in the early, the early days, the first few years, all supported this black and white method. Up until a few years later, uh, <clears throat> up into the early 80s, I think the necessity of it was less at that point. Everyone has sort of moved on to color televisions. There's a certain quality to black and white televisions, though, really. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's a whole different vibe. It's a whole different look, a whole different feeling to watch TV on there. So maybe I'll do that today. I don't know. It's really cold outside, though. Do I want to bring all this stuff in? I want more junk in here. I don't know. And then, of course, I don't think I've tested it here, but my old place, which was down the street, got pretty crappy reception on the digital channels, honestly. Uh, only a few came in. I would imagine we're here in North Jersey, just 12 miles from New York City. I would have hoped that it would be better, but it, it's just sort of the luck of the contours of hills and atmospheric things and all sorts of things. But again, instead of regular static, you just get it just digit it sort of digitizes. You get all these pixels and stuff. It's very annoying. It'd be cool though, watching black and white TV. Maybe I'll do it. Maybe not. Anyway. <clears throat> yeah, today's uh, show art, I just finished that up. Uh, Ballyhoo Nocturne. Yeah, that's uh, the title of today's episode. I like the way it came out. It looks really cool. There's a lot that went into this show art. Uh, starting with the uh, the name. It was just the other day and... Somehow I got caught up with this word nocturne. It's a, it's a, you know, no, I know what it was. I know, I know how it started. There was someone in my various explorations on the internet. Someone's last name was Nock, N-O-C-K. Um, and I always thought that was a cool word, Nock, not with the K, like that Nock, no, but just with an N, N-O-C-K, Nock. It sounds the same, um, but, um. It's different, obviously, N-O-C-K. And it also means, like, uh, has a, it's a word. It's kind of like if you ever use, like, a bow and arrow, it's like the knock is like that little, at the end, the, the end of the arrow where you sort of touch it to the string and pull it back and shoot the arrow. It's like a knock. Is that, is it two knock or is the thing, again, it's sort of like a little U-shaped thing that you put, remember? 
I don't know. I used to do like in high school, you had archery or something. The knock. Let me just look this up. Uh, the notch at either end of a bow for holding the string. For holding the string. Okay, I'm totally wrong. F to or to fit an arrow to the bowstring. Okay. To knock an arrow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Let's see. Any images of a knock? The knocking point. Yeah. Yeah. They're selling knocks. That's exactly what I was thinking. It's a, it's a U-shaped thing, just like the thing you used to put on the antenna. A U-shaped connector thing that is hard. Maybe those things on the TVs are called knocks. I don't know. But anyway, obviously, I'm interested in it because this is the overnightscape about nighttime, the time of day where it gets dark, nighttime. Nocturnal, right, is, is, is another way of saying it. Uh, right? Nyx is like the goddess of night, nocturnal. So I thought it was thought knock was kind of cool because it relates to that. So I was thinking of the word knock. Again, I was just playing around with ideas, you know. Then I got to the the the, the phrase nocturne, which is N-O-C-T-U-R-N-E, um, which can be a, a piece of music, which I'm reading the definition here, a short composition of a romantic or dreamy character suggestive of night, typically for piano, or a picture of a night scene, a nocturne. So I thought that was a cool word. So I was kind of playing around with it. Um, oh, and also, yeah. So then something else happened. I'm trying to I'm trying to reconstruct how this all happened. Um, I was, I think I was looking at something online, and I thought it said banana fuel, but it, it didn't actually say that. I sort of misread something. It said banana fuel. I'm like, that's kind of a cool phrase, and. Um, then I, I looked up banana fuel, and there is actually a product called banana fuel. Like I thought I made that up because I thought I misread something, but then I found out someone sells a banana fertilizer called banana fuel. Like, damn it, that would have been a good phrase, banana fuel, but someone else already used it. <laughs> so then I'm, I'm, I'm looking. I'm like, wait, what about banana nocturne? I'm like, wow, that sounds great. So I looked that up, and someone already is using it. It's someone's username on some website. Hi, I'm Banana Nocturne. I'm like, what the hell? I'm not, all these banana names are already being used, damn it. It's getting annoying. I don't want to... Someone else is using it. I don't want to use it. I mean, I know it's just for the title of an episode of The Overnightscape. It's not... I could use it, but it feels kind of like, eh. Even though I made it up, someone else is already using it. So, though I did really like Banana Nocturne, I kind of thought uh, of another B-A word, Ballyhoo. There is an episode of The Overnight Escape called Ballyhoo. Yeah. So then Ballyhoo Nocturne. I'm like, whoa, that's a good one. I'm like, Ballyhoo Nocturne. So Ballyhoo, again, let's see. It's the, what does this mean? Ballyhoo defi definition is uh, extravagant publicity or fuss. You know, and and there was a game called Ballyhoo uh, about I think about a circus at night from Infocom I think a lot of noise and activity often with no real purpose. I can't see what all this Ballyhoo is about. <laughs> yeah, I like that word. So yeah, remember there's one episode where I, I had an image of uh, the Apollo Soyuz mission in psychedelic colors, 
as Ballyhoo. Ballyhoo was a circus-themed interactive fiction video game designed by Jeff O'Neill and published by Infocom in 1985. The game is set in a dreary circus where you investigate the disappearance of the owner's daughter. I remember playing that on the various collections of that stuff. I never, you know, as much as I love the idea of the Infocom games, actually playing them kind of annoyed me, and I never really played them that much. Sad to say. Because uh, <coughs> I love the content. This is, these are games that were all text. You type in, you know, like, walk, walk west, and then you go to the west, and you see, like, a clown, and talk to clown, and clown punches you in the face. You start fighting the clown or whatever. But it's all in text. Ballyhoo, a sucker is born every minute. Oh, here's here's everything that came in the uh, the box when you first bought Ballyhoo. Yeah, they had they, they used to in, in, involve little props and stuff. Like there's a balloon in there. The traveling circus that time forgot. Ink. What? Doctor Nostrum's wondrous curative, guaranteed. Blah blah blah. A ticket, a circus ticket. Nice. Anyway, um, yeah. So I like the. So I like it. It's basically sort of like. Uh, so we say like uh, Ballyhoo Nocturne. There's like a lot going on in the middle there. Like, Lehu Noc, Ballyhoo Nocturne, Lehu Nocturne. It's like there's it's a lot of cool stuff going on in the middle there when you say Ballyhoo Nocturne. There's something about that phrase that just kind of feels cool, so. I like it. <laughs> anyway, as far as the show art goes, I was obsessing on fonts, as I usually do. And I was um, looking at searching for a font, and I came up with some sort of a link to this. Uh, yeah, I mean, I know exactly what happened. It was It was a page from a book from the 1800s on our Internet Archive. So I clicked the link and looked at the book. I think I do have the link here. I, th I hope I saved the link. Uh, yeah, it should be here. Yeah, yeah, come on. Yeah, here we go. I got it. So the book is called, if I can find it here, The Decorator's Assistant from 1847. That's a long time ago now. That's even longer ago than like 2018. That's a lot longer ago. And uh, there really wasn't too much typography stuff. There was that one page of interesting letters, but here on, on page 94 or so was this quite striking image of that they say is a, a, des a design for a panel, right? A design for a panel. And I thought that was such a striking image. It looks like some kind of carved wood um, decoration you'd put on the wall. Uh, I don't know, but there's something very striking about that. Uh, image, so I figured I would use it, and that's the image you see. And I uh, played around with a bunch of different uh, colorations and things for it, um, settling on kind of an orange to yellow gradient on the art itself, and then and the background is a purple to black gradient. And um, typesetting it, I I really uh, tried a few different things, but wound up with the Dido font, you know, which is a uh, that. Uh, Kind of that modern font. Is it a modern style font? Yeah, it's, it's, it's in the same realm as like a Bodoni. Very high contrast of the strokes. Um, I thought that looked great. Um, and then, of course, uh, as sort of a uh, 
it was a little it felt a little like empty so i did put at the top that number in green uh, type which is a uh, avenir condensed the number two five zero four five eight five zero zero one two seven oh seven six eight that's two five oh four five eight five zero zero one two seven zero seven six eight yes now if you've if you've been uh attentive to uh, such numbers in the past you may you may know you may be able to solve it do you want to try to figure out what the number is all about before i uh give you the secret all right here get, get, get a pen and paper Write down the number and then pause the show and see if you can figure it out. Two five zero four five eight five zero zero one two seven zero seven six eight. Yes. What would that be in terms of like millions or billions or whatever? Do, do we have like the? Uh, I didn't put the commas in there. Let me see if we can do that. This is not a clue, by the way. It's, yeah. <laughs> that saying it's not a clue is actually a clue. So it's it's an it's it's an, it's an anti clue. Let me put some commas in there to see. Is it a million, billion, trillion, quadrillion? Whoa, this is a big one. This is a million, billion, trillion. So two, so it's two quadrillion, five hundred and four trillion, five hundred and eighty-five billion, one million, two hundred and seventy thousand and seven hundred and sixty-eight. So it's it's two quadrillion, two point five quadrillion. This number, yeah. All right, pause now and see if you can figure it out. All right. Here's the answer. Well, as you might have guessed, yes, it is another base ten to base thirty-six uh, issue. Um, yeah, using base thirty-six, which has uh, 36 units, uh, the digits 0 through 9, and the letters A through Z. So if you were to take the base 10 number, as we just described it, the 2.5 quadrillion one, type that into a base 10 to base 36 converter. All you do is go on Google and just type in base 10 to base 36. Type in the number, and what will you see? Yes, indeed, that number translates to OMSUG radio, yes. Little sneaky way of putting Onsug Radio in there. I previously had had the uh, the number that just spells out Onsug. This one is the first time I've used Onsug Radio. It's a secret number. Anyway, in other news, last night my wife Denise and I played backgammon. It was very random. We haven't. I don't. I think we used to be played a couple times a long time ago. We've been married, uh, you know, twenty six years now. Um. But we needed to find a game she could play be, uh, because you know, her arm is still injured. It's getting better, but it's still injured. So a card game, we kind of like cribbage. We have to hold the cards and look at them. It's probably not great. So I'm like, what, is, what about a board game? We have a chess set. Well, you know, chess really annoys me. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I'm just not good at chess, or it just annoys me, chess. Um I mean, I can play chess. I know how to. My parents taught me when I was a kid because they they got caught up in the uh, the chess craze in the seventies. And I remember we had this uh, Fisher Spassky uh, 
there was this, uh, it was a slider. There was a whole category of items. And I talked about this in the show before. Cardboard sliders. Um, it was like a, a cardboard outer sleeve, and then you would slide this other thing in there, and you could use it to get information. And there were so many different kinds of these things. You know what I'm talking about? I don't know. You don't really see them around too much anymore, but it was really big back then. So it was chess games by uh, you know Bobby Fisher and uh, whatever the first name, Spassky. It was a big chess tournament in the 70s, and all their games were uh, represented on this, this little cardboard device. So you could play through the games. So you could look at the board position, and you could be like, hmm, I wonder what they're going to do now. What would I do? And then you see what the chess masters, what moves they actually chose. Um, so I remember they were really into chess. In fact, we, I have one of my parents' chess boards, a really cool one. It's kind of a marble chess board and these cool metal pieces. But unfortunately, the, um, they, were in a, they were in a box with this uh, foam to keep them um, safe. But over the decades, the foam sort of broke down and adhered to the pieces, that, and, and all the pieces were covered with this nasty, like, orange foam. What the hell's going on out there? Is it snowing? What the hell? It's snowing. Hold on a second. What the hell? That's, jeez, it's snowing. Look at this. The first snow of the, uh, the season here. Wow. Yikes. Everyone's saying it was going to be a bad winter. What did they say that in the, the old farmer's almanac or something? Listen, we have had very mild winters the last couple of years. I do have to clear off and shovel stuff. I had the opportunity my, at my father's house. You know, he passed away earlier this year. And uh, I know Kitty. This is Vegas. Kitty. Um... There's this enormous slow snowblower that would like so huge. I'm like, no, I don't want it. I don't even know how I would have gotten it home. I don't want it. I don't want a giant snowblower. How many times am I going to use it? But now I'm going to regret that decision because I can just tell there's going to be all these blizzards this this uh, this winter, and I'm going to say I wish I had that damn snowblower. <laughs> no, it was just too gigantic. I don't. I, ha- I mean, my garage is full of enough junk as it is. I could always buy my own snowblower, I suppose, but. That would guarantee there'd be no more snow. Now that I turned down a, essentially a free snowblower, you know the snow's going to be bad. But this is, this looks like just slight flurries here, but it's kind of cool. It's snowing. Interesting. Yeah. Kitty? Kitty, what's going on? What were we talking about? <laughs> good, good luck. Good luck figuring that out. Ah, backgammon. Okay, hold on. Yeah. Yeah, so I learned how to play chess, but I never got to the point of, like, I know how to play chess. I get it. Uh, I can play through a whole game, but I don't know any of the metagame. I don't know any of the opening move libraries or anything like that. So once you get to a certain point, you have to memorize tons of stuff to play chess at a higher level. And that, to me, just seems like a drag. It's like, I just want to play the damn game. I don't want to have to, like, memorize 8 billion things to play chess. I don't know. I, I don't know if I'm interpreting that properly, but you know, to me, it could just be a game you play. And I've always been fascinated with like fairy chess, which is 
you know, if you look at the game of chess and you'd be like, wow, I could make up so many different pieces and so many different boards. And people have done that, you know, and it can make for a, an, a more interesting. There was, in fact, a couple different kinds of chess that were specifically addressing the matter that I just said, which is that chess has been. Um, you know, you, you, all this memorization that would be required sort of takes away the fun of, you know, just playing a game fresh. So there, there's a couple different versions of chess. That, what was that one that had these pieces? One that was like the leopard, the cannon. Yeah. I remember I talked about that in the show. They had leopards, cannons, dragons. But it was it was like uh, to make to keep the game fresh and, and eliminate this need to memorize all these opening, all these sequences and stuff. Yeah. Anyway, what was that one? And I still want to listen to that broadcast TV thing. I'm just, I'm just getting, what was that chess board? What was that chess game? I almost bought some of those pieces, but I'm like, you know what? I really don't need that crap. It's going to wind up in the garage with everything else, the old TV sets and everything. Ah, because I know there's that game Ultima, not the video game. There was an Ultima Chess with different pieces. But the one I'm, what is the one with, all right, Leopards. Hold on, I'll pause while I try to look this up. Yeah, yeah, here it is. Cannon and Leopard. Yeah, oh, that's so cool. Like the chess pieces, there's variants of... What what was the chess piece? Staunton was that the the shape of the chess pieces everyone's familiar with? Take chess to the next level, cannon and and leopard combination. <laughs> what? Uh. Yeah, but what? That's that's a really cool looking pieces. But what, what what is this from though? Take chess to the next level. But there's got to be, hmm. Yeah, hold on. I need to research this. Okay, yeah, so this is Musketeer Chess. Yeah, it says, The chess game, as we know, is gradually going extinct. Lack of great rivalries among elite, fading audience... Among elite, fading audience, long technical battles with almost no room for spectacular play. Elite games are frequently long opening theory battles with extensive use of computer analysis, limiting creativity on the board. Opening theory regularly exceeds 25 moves. Right? So they're saying they want to... The idea behind Musketeer Chess is to bring minimal but meaningful changes to the rules of the game of chess, maintaining as much of the present game as possible and limiting some aspects like over-analyzed starting positions and opening theory. So I guess, um, <clears throat> so yeah, they have 10 new pieces along with the existing pieces. They have the leopard, cannon, elephant, hawk, unicorn, fortress, spider, dragon, or Amazon. <laughs> can be dragon or Amazon, chancellor, and archbishop. And, uh... Yeah. So it has something to do with like you you have like a random new piece every game or something. I, I remember reading about this a while ago, but 
it's really cool. You can buy the pieces. Um, and they say House of Staunton is one of the companies making them. Yeah, there's the Canon and the Leopard, Archbishop and Chancellor. I don't know why can't you why can't you just buy a whole set? You have to buy the pieces individually. <laughs> the elephant and the hawk. It's cool. The, the hawks look kind of like the isn't it the Maltese falcon statue. Uh, the fortress and the unicorn. It feels very Zelazny esque with amber and stuff. And the and uh, the the dragon and the spider. Those don't look like actual dragons or spiders. They just look like weird chess pieces. Then there's other ones that someone's made. Is this actually something? Do people really are people playing musketeer chess? Is this like a whole thing? We can play online. Anyway, that's what came to mind. This the idea, like I, like I sort of feel like, you know, I could get better at chess, but I'd have no interest in investing of memorizing long, twenty-five move opening sequences that. You know. Uh, anyway, <sighs> but backgammon is a game that I haven't really played too much. It's funny you do see some people in uh, New York playing it in parks and stuff. I guess it could be backgammon hustlers because it is it is it is essentially like a, a gambling game. You can play it without gambling, but there's a big gambling aspect to, to backgammon. Um, we had I and I found we had a, a pretty good backgammon set in the basement. So I figured, hey, let's play some backgammon. It was actually really cool. It was like uh, we only played one game because we kept getting interrupted by all these phone calls and stuff. It was really weird last night. It was a weird time. We were trying to play backgammon, and we kept getting. I got phone calls. Denise got phone calls. It was like, what the hell's going on? I just want to play backgammon, damn it. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, I won the first game, but it, we were really we needed a refresher. I remember at one point. Commuting into New York City. In this case, I think I was. Yeah, I think I was taking the train into Hoboken, then taking the path train into New York City. I had my first mobile phone, which was one of those uh, the Nokia candy bar phones, as they called it. And it. It and then I also had a Game Boy. I would bring on commutes. I think a Game Boy or one of those things. And I forgot my Game Boy, so all I had to play games was my phone. And the only game on the phone was Backgammon. It like came with one game. You remember those old phones that, that Nokia... It was really solidly built, that those Nokia phones. And it had a little black and white screen. and Yeah, so I was just like, oh, the only game I can play is Backgammon against the computer. But, yeah, I don't know. I've never really played Backgammon that much. But I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. And uh, I think we're going to play some more it feels like very 70s like there was a big backgammon craze in the 70s everyone started getting into it um don't i have like the playboy book of backgammon or something or maybe i i used to have it playboy used to have tons of books about all aspects of lifestyle not just naked ladies um yeah, but backgammon was all these books about it. Like it seems like a fairly simple game, but it's really rather complex. You know, it's just for those that don't know what backgammon is, uh, it's it's you know it's a board, kind of like a chessboard, but usually it comes in like it comes uh, as like a little suitcase. Um, and you open it up, and that's the board. I don't know why. The, yeah, because I guess dice rolling is a big part of the game. So the having it as a case gives you a natural place to roll the dice so they don't f fall off the table. 
Um, and then you, each person has a certain number of checkers. Um, and you have this opening setup that you just have to refer to something to set it up. And then essentially it's basically you're rolling the dice and trying to, it's, it's uh, a two-player game like chess. And you're rolling the dice and you're trying to uh, get your pieces back home while your opponent's trying to get their pieces back to their home. And uh, you can sort of capture the enemy pieces and put them in the middle. That's another thing, that bar in the middle. So yeah, kind of, I guess you can play back ammo without this little suitcasey thing. But, yeah. Yeah, I won the first game. <laughs> and there's also the doubling cube, which um, there's the gambling aspect, but also you could play for points. Like I, I think, like, normally if you can win a regular game, a gammon game, or a backgammon game, depending on it, when you win, how far along the, uh, the your opponent is. Right. If they have uh, borne off at least one checker, then it's a regular game. If they uh, haven't borne any off, then it's a gammon. And if they still have some pieces that are on the uh, middle bar there, it's a backgammon. Which I think gammon is two times and backgammon is three times. And then you can use the doubling cube to continue doubling the stakes. Which, uh, I, I think one of the complaints about backgammon in the past was that, like, a game would become rather lopsided. That 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 is, uh, someone was clearly winning, and you know, do you need to play out the entire game, knowing that your chance of winning is almost nil? So if so, if if you decide to double the stakes, uh, your opponent can um, be like, no, I'll I'll quit. You know, I'll resign. As opposed to actually just resigning normally, because who knows, you might win, because it's all about rolling dice. There's a random, it's randomness plus uh, uh, a strategy. So I kind of like those kind of games, like my my game, Flea Devil Solitaire, which uh, I feel is like such an amazing game, and I'm the only person in the world playing it right now, and I want to get it out there. It's all the same, it's similar. It's like there's randomness, but then there's also a lot of skill involved. Um and interestingly, that uh, a game I play a lot on my phone and also on my desktop is called Marvel Snap, right? And Marvel Snap has incorporated the doubling cube me uh, mechanism. Which, it makes you wonder why other collectible card games haven't uh, used this because, right, <coughs> when you feel confident that you're going to win... You can snap and double the stakes, and then your opponent could snap again uh, and increase the stakes again. I think there's only two snaps allowed. In the, you can snap, and then your opponent can snap. You can't keep going. Um, I was reading. I was reading an, an article like they tried so many variations of it, but yeah. So it sort of feels like if a game is getting lopsided, you can just use the doubling cube or in Marvel Snap do the snap. And then that would really encourage the opponent to just retreat, right? Instead of, well, who knows? Maybe I can win if we keep going, but the chances are very low. And yeah, it's a, really, it's a really nice mechanism. In this case, it can keep doubling up to 64, so it can get really crazy. If both people think they're going to win, and they keep doubling the stakes. That, I think, was an, an, an advancement in backgammon that really kind of um, made it more popular. And as a gambling game, it is, you know, it's 
I wonder though, because you know, like there's these people that are chess hustlers that they're really good at chess, but they play for money, and at first they pretend that they're they kind of suck, and then they make their their mark feel like they're taking advantage of them, even though it's actually the other way around. They keep increasing the stakes until they have the amount of money they want bet, and then they just destroy their opponent, right? And you hear that going on with uh, you know billiards or pool and I wonder but I wonder with backgammon because it, it there is so much of it is the block of the draw right I don't know if you can guarantee a win um, even if you're a much better player your opponent might just get very lucky rolling the dice right it's, I guess it's kind of similar to you know Texas Hold'em poker where there is that random factor but there's so much skill involved Usually, a better player is going to win. Uh, I mean, if there's a big skill gap, but it could still happen that just by luck that a lesser player could win, right? Interesting. Anyway, so we're going to keep playing backgammon. I think that's, uh... and then I do want to get back to playing cribbage as well. That's a good game. But I need a better cribbage board. I've been looking at those expensive cribbage boards on uh, Amazon. They look very nice, but. I would only want to get one of those if it's if we were to be playing a lot, you know. Anyway, I found it. It is uh, the end of an analog broadcasting on television in the U.S. was June twelfth, two thousand nine, and it was that was when I was doing the Rampler number three eighteen analog TV. And that's on uh, channel 117. Let's, yeah, let's see if we can just check that out real quick. I remember uh, I was switching the channels, and all the channels started getting, like, they, they were shutting down the transmitters. It was wild. Or switching them over to digital, right? They're still using the same transmitters, but it's a different kind of uh, a signal. 117, 117. Let's see. Analog TV. 318? Yeah, 318, right? Yeah. Hey, it's the Rampler. Hey. Coming to you from the streets of New York. Let's fast forward here. The they streets. Sealed off the basement. Thing out to all of New York City. I think. Let's see. To get good reception on television. And now it's still the issue. You know, I remember growing up. How long ago was this? You know, we we had an antenna. Fourteen and a half years ago. Wow. Had a little device sitting in the cabinet. Cathard of Weird New Jersey for doing that. Mine, I mentioned Chris Gethard again. Making my drive to I mentioned him last time. Wow. So he, Yikes. Kind of as I expected, it's a bit non Cathard of Weird New Jersey. <laughs> All right. Some action on Twitter here. 10.44 p.m. Chris says, a woman just called me and had me pull in front of a Starbucks for doing that. It is appreciated. Thank you for not making my drive to Albuquerque worthless. Wow. All right. Yeah, that, that, that was when Chris Gethard went out to New Mexico to try to find the Andy Kaufman guy. Yeah, that was the whole thing. That was the whole thing back then. Anyway, it was quite a lengthy process, but I listened while it was being trans transferred. Right. Transferred over.
So, you know, I've been doing this show, The Overnightscape, for over 20 years now. And uh, this project is what we now know as OnSug Radio, really started back in 1999 with uh, the creation of BluffCosm.com in the early days of Internet radio. But preceding that was a project uh, called Obliviana, Super Occult Amusement. I started in the early 90s, and it was mostly like an online text thing, this uh, fever dream of a project. Uh... And at some point during that process, it, looking back on it, it, se- it almost seemed like I was trying to start a cult of some sort. And uh, luckily that didn't happen. But before that, I uh, had something called Nomadi Entertainment, which initially was with Mad Mike. And it was sort of an offshoot of, in college, uh, we had a radio show starting in 1986 and uh, we got kicked off the air, so we decided to continue the show as a magazine. And uh, we laid it out, you know, using tape and glue, whatever. And we uh, went down to uh, Penny Press, I think, one of those little photocopy places down in the town, Madison, New Jersey. And we got a, like a 50 copies printed up, I guess, double-sided. And then I just... then. I understood that process. You could make your own publications, little comic books and stuff. Like last time, I was talking about my character, Zope. So I started creating these mini-comics, and uh, I put ads in um, a comics buyer's guide in different places, and people were sending in, and I, I was like a a thing. And I had like dozens and dozens of people that were like buying my comics, and it was a whole thing back then. And um, I did wind up uh, influencing some people, apparently. One guy... And I remember the name, Le- Levi Combs, was someone that uh, was a fan of my work back then. And uh, many years later, somehow we made contact with each other. I'm not, I'm trying to remember how. Let me see. He found me. He must have looked me up and saw that I was still doing stuff. Levi Combs. It's kind of a unique name. You don't forget the name like that. Uh, let me see. And somewhere he said, like when someone asked, like his his influences, he's he's like Frank Nora and his half evil publications. I'm like, wow, it's like amazing. Like I like that early project of mine, my first real creative project that I I released publicly, like uh, actually influenced people that they still, you know. Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't know. How, I don't know exactly how I made I made contact with him again. I'm trying to see. Maybe it was on Facebook. I, I'm not sure. But anyway, he had a Kickstarter. He does Dungeons and Dragons stuff now, and uh, he had a Kickstarter for uh, for a publication called Dungeon Malarkey, and I guess his company is called Planet X Games. And so, uh, so this is like a little publication, almost almost that same size as those old comics. It's eight and a half by eleven, folded over once. And so I, I, I did the Kickstarter, and uh, I finally got it here. Copyright 2003 Planet X Games. This is by Levi Combs and Tony Avinia. Hmm. Yeah. So it just has, uh, it has like crazy monsters and stuff. 
and magical items like a chimeral egg, clone putty, death leeches, frenzy coral, frozen fire. This would be great if you play those uh, dungeon games, those role-playing games. Scarlet tardigrades. Like all these cool monsters. It's almost like a little it's like a like a monster, a little monster manual. How about Void Tar? It's like this weird substance that like is it what does it do? Let's, see, let's read this here. There's an, and it has all those cool black and white illustrations, evocative of the early Dungeons and Dragons illustrations. Very popular in old school rules community. Occasionally a magical scrying device, be it a crystal ball, viewing pool, magical mirror, or other apparatus, stares into the endless void of nothingness that is the negative material plane, and if it stares too long, something stares back. When this occurs, nearby rock or other minerals can potentially be transformed into void tar. In other rare instances, the negative material plane can brush up against the living world a little too closely. Be it from a monster summoning gone awry or a magical gate or other unusual circumstance resulting in the same effect. What does it do, though? What does the void tar do? Is it, let's see, the next page. Hold on. What do you like? Rub? You rub it on someone and they disappear, or how does that work? Void tar is a viscous, thick substance that is outwardly indistinguishable from normal tar, but can quickly consume the lives of creatures who come into contact with it. Yeah, nice. Good stuff. But I want to see if, like, where where he sort of mentions me. I can't remember where it was. Uh, mm -hmm, hmm. It was it was something promoting promoting it, and he mentioned my my works. I'm telling you, I I remember seeing this. No, oh, come on. No. <laughs> oh well, I'm telling you, he said it. I'm not making it up. Levi Combs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Game designer, award-winning publisher, writer, husband, dad, fantasy, sci-fi, horror, and grindhouse, vintage comics, and all sorts of groovy nerd stuff. He, him. Hmm. Right, I can't find where he gives me credit, but I swear I, I had it. So it was really cool. Now I have Dungeon Malarkey. As far as my interest in those type of games, I've always been keenly interested in the role-playing games. As a kid, always we had tons of the books of Advanced Dungeons & Dragons, Gamma World, and Marvel Superheroes role-playing game, of course. Uh, so many of them. I don't think I had too much Traveler stuff, but I know in college, one of the the, the guys on my in my dorm had Traveler. So I've been very uh, aware of these games and read up on them uh, immensely. But as far as actually playing them, very little, very little. I don't know what it is. Yeah, I never. I guess I never fell in with a group of people that were playing the game. I know my friend Brian from the Three Weasels. He he's. Uh, 
does tons of those kind of games. He's had a Villains and Vigilantes. That, that's another one I had, V&V, superhero role-playing game. Um, he's, he has a, this campaign that's been going for like 30 or 40 years, the same campaign with all these different superheroes and stuff. I don't know what it is. I just sort of, I don't know. I just, uh, I don't know why I never got into it. I like the idea of it. Sort of like I like the idea of chess, but when I actually play it, I don't know. Maybe it's not for me. Listen, not everything is for everyone. Anyway, thank you, Levi Combs. And send me, I don't know if he's going to listen to this. If Send me, uh, did you, did that, that, that place where you, you mentioned me. <laughs> Do it. I want to see it. What is this? Now it's sunny outside. It was snowing and now it's sunny. What is this crazy weather? Yeah, it is pretty crazy weather. <clears throat> anyway, some sad news to report. Marty Croft dead at age 86. Of course, he was the brother, the brother Sid and Marty Croft created so many great TV shows especially back in the 1970s that sort of defined Gen X, uh, well, older Gen X uh, childhoods with H.R. Puffin stuff, Sigmund and the Sea Monsters, Lidsville, The Bugaloos, Land of the Lost, and so many more. Uh, so this is from Variety. Marty Croft, colorful producer of H.R. Puffin stuff, Land of the Lost, dies at 86. Wow. Sid apparently is still still alive. Um, I've been very obsessed with Sid and Marty Croft. And, you know, I would say that um, H.R. Puffin stuff really was not on my radar as a kid because they did not replay it that much. It started off uh, 69 to 70, and I was too young at that point. I, I was born in 67. They said they replayed it a little bit, but I don't know why they didn't replay it more. Um, but Sigmund and the Sea Monsters was a big one for me. I would say Lidsville less so, and um, Bugaloo's only a little bit. But Sigmund and the Sea Monsters, of course, the Croft Super Show with Captain Cool and the Kongs and all those show, all the little sub shows on there. Um, they produce so much great stuff. It, really, really amazing. Um, I know there's like a lot of great interviews with them online. And of course, I've tried to revisit a lot of these these shows after the fact. Um, I watched all of H.R. Puffin stuff, including the movie. It's all really great. It's worth seeing. Really psychedelic and bizarre, disturbing, you know, everything else. Um, something about it being live action and puppets and people in costumes makes it all the more frightening. And psychedelic. Uh, that, that's really, I think, these types of TV shows really kind of, as I said, kind of uh, the bizarre nature of them really a huge influence on the Gen X mind. I think I even have a couple books about the cross stuff. Yeah, it's a whole thing. So very sad to see. Oh, there's Sid. Yeah, Marty is m more recognizable. Marty Croft. Was, did he do more work? Was it an even partnership? This is what I don't know. I don't know who did what in the Sid and Marty Croft world, you know? And, of course, 
once I get my hands on a time machine, I'll be heading back to uh, Atlanta, Georgia in, I believe, the year 1977, the Omni Center, uh, to go to the world of Sid and Marty Croft indoor theme park, which was only open for a few months. It was actually featured in the Croft Super Show with Captain Cool and the Kongs. I want to go to that place so much, uh, but I need a time machine to do that. Oh, but talking about Atlanta, you know, was it last year we went to Chattanooga and we flew into Atlanta and we went to the Puppet Museum there in Atlanta. And now, apparently at the Puppet Museum, they have uh, the original stop-motion figures of, like, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and Santa Claus. They didn't have that there when I was there. They had a lot of good puppets, but you know what I mean? I guess they have a rotating exhibits. Why don't we have a puppet museum up here in Jersey? Why does it have to be like in Atlanta, so far away? I want pu- I want puppets. Well, I know there's that Museum of the Moving Image. I've never gone to that one in Queens. They have a Muppets a display, which, of course, they have a ton of Muppets in, in Atlanta. But I want a variety of puppets, like they had Madam down there, you know, Waylon Flowers and Madam, and a bunch of different puppets. You know, the Mystery Science Theater puppets. I know there's... I think it was a screen-used versions of them. Um, yeah. And then there was that documentary. This is so... Yeah. So Captain Cool and the Kongs, right, had uh, two members that were very interesting that kind of had uh, previously, previously had other careers going on. So... Yeah, they were a fake rock band that hosted a show that had different sub-shows in it. Um, and um, where's where's the names here? No. Why, why every time I'm searching, I can't find the right stuff. Bert, his name was Bert something. Um, Bert, ugh, hold on. His, he played Flatbush, uh, Bert, Bert Summer, right? Bert Summer was a guy who was a singer-songwriter who actually performed at Woodstock and had and and, and uh, seemed to have some kind of a promising career, but it just never happened for him, I guess. And he died in 1990, at age 41. Um, but he wound up on the Croft Super Show. Uh, as this, you know, on children's television. Yeah. The other interesting person was uh, Super Chick, played by um, uh, Deborah Klinger, right? And she was uh, quite good looking and uh, definitely sort of a TV crush type person. By the way, Captain Cool and the Kongs. KKK and it was based in Atlanta like why <laughs> I don't know if there's any connection there so I don't know but anyway um, Deborah Klinger was part of this group called the Klinger Sisters and they were um, people describe them sort of as uh, female Osmonds right they were very popular on TV in the 1950s and early 60s especially on the Danny Thomas show. And so she was like the young, I think she was the youngest one. 
and you see her like in the late fifties, like being interviewed by Danny Thomas and stuff. And um, then they made a movie about the Klinger sisters, which was really interesting, and it was a documentary. And I bought it on DVD. Where the hell is it? And it's like I doesn't even it doesn't seem to be online anywhere. Uh, the Klinger Sisters, the First Girls of Rock and Roll, 2013. That's the name of it, yeah. Um, let me see. Let's see. Yeah, I don't think it's... Let me see if it's available anywhere. Like online. I, I guess you could still buy the DVD, uh, I imagine. Let's see. Maybe not, actually. A lot of Danny. They were associated with Danny Kay, who was a big star back then. No one would know who he is now. Yeah, maybe this DVD. Is this DVD like valuable? I gotta find it. I have it somewhere. Jeez, it's like it's not coming up. It was a good documentary too. No, nothing, nothing. Yeah, let me see. But anyway, they were sort of, they just never had, like, an album. They never, like, had anything recorded. It was a strange story. Uh, hold on one second here. But they were, they were both on this Marty Croft show, Sid and Marty Croft show. Oh, is this, is this it? I think someone put this on, uh, oh, it's on, it's on YouTube. Okay. The Klinger story, the first, this must be it. Yeah. Yeah. For us. This is it. So we're there. We were leaving the house that really broke down and cried about it until it was. There's Deborah Klinger in 2013 ish. I really. And you dig around. Yeah, what's his name? Um, that guy. You know the guy I'm talking about. Ah, so it is on. It is okay. This it's it's online now. That's good. The Clinger story. The first all okay. I thought it was the Clinger sisters. Anyway, I think that's the same thing. So, I'll, in the show notes, I'll put the exact wording of the uh, the video on on YouTube. Yeah, you can you can watch that. Um, you know the guy I'm talking about. That guy. Why 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 am I drawing a blank? There, he he did the Runaways. He was the producer, and then they accused him of stuff afterwards. Um, Kim Kim Fowley, right? Kim Fowley. I think he was involved with them. Yeah. He died in 2015, but he was like this rock and roll producer, weirdo kind of guy that he had his own career, then he produced people, and he's involved in all sorts of weird stuff. I think he's in he's in this one, I think. What is this? The Klinger sisters have a good time tonight, 1969. 
Oh, here they are performing. What is this on? Wow, they're in full rock band mode. There's yeah, there's Deborah. 1969. But why didn't they get popular though? Anyway. <laughs> all all of these tendrils of pop culture associations. Isn't there a thing I play on the other side about Kim Fowley? Right. Something like that. I should try to find that. Alright, I think I, fo I found it here. Kim Fowley, the underground animal. Alright, I think this is it. It's after this song. Kim Fowley yeah. is the ultimate underground animal. Utah, which is a collection of other sides from a long time ago. So what do they say about him here? He was an American record producer, songwriter, and musician who was behind the string of novelty and cult pop rock signals and singles in the 60s and managed the runaways in the 70s. He has been described as one of the most colorful characters in the annals of rock and roll, as well as a shadowy cult figure well outside the margins of the mainstream, and he was accused of a great sexual misconduct, uh, which is not very, which is uh, very negative. Uh, who knows what was going on, but uh, yeah, he, he seemed to have a quite the dark side. Anyway, so he had something to do with the uh, Klinger sisters, but it's not in his article though. Anyway. What the hell's going on? I don't know. So this, I'll oh, say, so the DVD, Clinger Sisters, is... Yeah, one hour, two minutes, so the, it, it's on YouTube now, but the DVD is not available. Not available. So, YouTube is the only way you're going to get to watch this now. Yeah. 2013, that's what, 10 years ago now. And uh, I've been playing this game 
that doesn't seem so old. It's from 2003, though. It's Wa WarioWare Inc. Slipped into mirror universe there. <laughs> I was recording, but I thought it was on pause. Anyway, yeah, WarioWare Inc. Mega Micro Games. Uh, it's about 2003, 20 years ago. This was originally on Game Boy Advance, and it's such a pleasure to play it on a much larger and brighter color screen here. Uh, it's all these mini games, and there's been a, a bunch of other games in this series, but this first one is is so good. I'm really enjoying replaying it. You know this game? Ooh. I'm trying to unlock all the mini-games. Jump over a potato car. Such a good game. I feel like I've, play I've played this game so... Like, I've played through it so many times. Originally on the... You know, on, on my Game Boy Advance, and then later on emulators, and now on this device. a lot of fun. Each game only lasts a few seconds, you know. Yeah, and the mini games were all from all over the place, really wild stuff. This is the tough one where you're a car running away from the balls. I love this game. How long can I keep going? Doing well. No. 17. Escape. Grab. Ooh. Uh-oh. I missed the umbrella. Destroying the bottle with eye beams. Ooh. What are you supposed to do there? Ooh, what the hell? This game's tough. I love it though. Yeah, now that I got a working unit, oh, I gotta return the other one. This Anbernic 35, what is it? RG35XX is a great device. And there's a new one, the, the RG35XX Plus coming out. That can do a few more games. I think PS2, Dreamcast, things like that. Um, but it's a, it's, it looks just like a Game Boy, and it, and it can play like thousands of games. It's great. In other news, I think I mentioned uh, last episode, which was just yesterday, in fact, that uh, last week we went to this place called Freakin' Vegan to pick up some uh, food for Thanksgiving up there in Ridgewood, New Jersey. And it seems like on the same day before or after we went there, U.S. Senator Cory Booker stopped by. He is uh, famously a vegan. He's the New Jersey uh, senator. Senator, sorry. He's, he's a senator, U.S. senator from New Jersey, Cory Booker. You may know him. Uh, he ran for president back in 20-something. 
2020, yeah. He was in the Democratic debates. Yeah. He was running for president. And um, you see, we, we went, all the, all, all the vegans go to the best place in northern New Jersey. And there's a picture of him with the owner who we've talked to. And just that owner, he's the guy that runs the place. He, uh, he knew my wife's name because she used to order so much from there. And uh, very interesting. Just our very vegan Senator Cory Booker picking up his Thanksgiving order at Freakin' Vegans Ridgewood. Thank you, Cory Booker, for visiting and bringing this vegan spirit to D.C. So, very nice. And he, and he did a picture with the owner. See? Even celebrities go to the vegan spots. Yes. Well, that's the thing. Like, it's just... It's kind of cool that there's, like... Fully vegan uh, restaurants and food places are so few and far between. It sort of feels like, uh, you know, sometimes you can have this overwhelming amount of choice, but in this case, you <clears throat> you have to take it where you can get it. And of course, sadly, on Sunday, the Plant Witch uh, closed. I, I was talk, talked to you about Plant Witch on a recent episode. I still have a Plant Witch, which I got last week. I better eat it soon. It's been in the fridge for a few days. I should have that next. Uh, but that'll be my last plant, whichever. Well, they're saying they might come back. They might uh, come back in some way, but that place was so good. I guess they just couldn't, I guess there weren't enough vegans. You don't have to be vegan to eat there, though. I know. I know the whole vegan thing. It can be very annoying for people to hear about, and, uh, you know, my whole view on it, I'm not. I'm not trying to tell anyone what to do. I'm just letting you know being vegan is great. I feel so much better about so many things being vegan. I don't, you know, and I, I can't imagine myself ever going back. And I just want to have some options going out. I, I just, I'm not telling everyone they have to be vegan. I just wish that the restaurants and food places would know more about it, understand it better, and maybe have a, an option or two available. Not this struggle where, well, maybe it's vegan, maybe it's not. Ugh, what a mess. Anyway, thank you, Corey, for being vegan, I guess. Corey Booker. So there was a headline recently that was very sad. You know, uh, sometimes you read the news and it's just, ugh, really? Very sad headlines. Well, of course, most news is negative and all these wars and atrocities all the time. But this one uh, I saw... Daryl Hall gets restraining order against John Oates. <laughs> what the hell? <coughs> you know, <coughs> Dar- Hall and Oates, you know, the band. They had some really really good uh, music videos in the, in the early MTV era. Private eyes, they're watching you. They see your every move. Right? Oh, here she comes. Watch out, boy. She'll chew you up. Right? Great stuff. All the notes. And they had that wild album with Todd Rundgren. I forget what it was called. Um, They had some good stuff, you know. I don't know if they had a hit after, like, the mid-'80s, but still, they were very big. Uh, even these guys can't get along. Daryl Hall gets restraining order. I, I I think I read a little bit more about it. I, I don't think that like John Oates was beating like up Daryl Hall. I think 
there was some business concern or something. Uh, I guess he didn't want him to go to a certain place. I don't know. I, I tried reading it. It was just too complicated. John Oates, you know, he's sort of, the, you know, the lesser talent of the two, right? Because there's in there that comedy team, Garfunkel and Oates, that sort of make fun of the lesser of the two. Simon and Garfunkel, obviously, Paul Simon turned out to be a bit more talented than uh, Art Garfunkel. So it was two women comedians, Garfunkel and Oates. I don't know what's up with that, though. But the poor guy, he's sort of the lesser of the two. And now he's getting res- he got a restraining order against him? The hell? It's so sad. It was sort of like when Catherine and Tennille uh, divorced. That was so sad, you know? They were big back in the day. And with the love, love will keep us together. Will it? Eventually? That guy's name was also, wasn't it? That guy's name also was Daryl, right? Wait a minute. Was it Daryl Dragon, right? Two Daryls. Daryl Dragon. I, I, am, I, am I mixing this up? <laughs> he is Daryl Dragon. Another Daryl. The hell? He died in 2019. Yeah. Daryl Dragon. That's his real name, apparently. Yeah. His middle name was Frank. Sounds like a fake name, but it's a real name. So he always, these things, these, these famous couples or, or duos where one is named Daryl, and you never think there's, there are going to be problems, but then the problems crop up. How about uh, the other Daryl thing with the, the Daryl, um, my other brother Daryl? You know, you know the whole thing on one of the New Heart shows. You know, you know what I'm saying. Daryl, Daryl, Daryl issues. <coughs> what the hell? Hold on a second. These ads. Daryl from a new heart, right? Now what? Shut up with these ads. You say it when things get God. Oh yes. Dick, the gentlemen are here. Hurry, okay? This is my brother Daryl. That's my other brother Daryl. So, uh, how you doing? Okay, except I throwed my back out last week crawling under a house. Sounds like a tough job. Wasn't a job. I just like crawling under houses. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> that made me laugh. Where's the little lady? Mrs. Newton is down those stairs. Thank you. Uh, if if you don't mind my asking, um, how how do you go about this this sort of thing? Well, we usually just wait till we get down there to see what's the most fun. That was one of the cla- classic like misunderstanding humor. I don't know the joke, but it's they probably they think they're there for one thing, but they're there for something else. Anyway, yeah, so the guy who plays Larry was played by Wil- William Sanderson. I never can remember that name. Uh, S- Sanderson, who, of course, 
was in Blade Runner, right? Yes, he played J.F. Sebastian, the, the designer of those weird little puppet people. Home again, home again, J.F. I, I, I made them. They're my friends. Yeah. So he was Larry. What are the other Daryls? Any other famous Daryls? Daryl Strawberry. I remember he was on the Mets, right? No, no, famous Daryls, famous people named Daryl, Daryl Hannah, hey, of course, the actress from Splash, and whatever happened to her, was she, was she in one of those, um, was she in one of those, uh, movies like Kill Bill or something, why am I thinking she might have been in that, Paul, Hannah, they both start with H-A, ha, Daryl Hannah. Yeah, she was in Kill Bill. See? Wow, I remembered. She's still alive. She's 62. I don't know if she's... Splash was huge. Kill Bill. What year? When was Kill Bill? 2003 and 2004? Really? Looks like she's still been doing stuff. Not much. Uh, 2019. She was the narrator of a short film called The Sound of a Wild Snail Eating. Oh, she's been on TV. Oh, Sense8. I kind of remember that TV show. The Now Hawaii Five-0. Oh, she's, she's doing all right. I mean, she's not like a triple-A lister anymore, but she's all right. Daryl Hannah. What about other Daryls? Uh... Looking at a list of Daryls. I don't know. I don't really recognize any of these Daryls. Daryl F. Zanuck, the film producer. I don't know. Well, it can, it, it can go either way with the D-A-R-Y-L. Or is it usually double R's? I thought, I thought it was usually one, one R. Am I wrong? Are all Daryls like with two R's? I don't know. Enough with Daryl's. Well, Daryl Hannah has one R. Maybe that's the female version with one R. Yeah. 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 Oh, anyway, you may re remember uh, a couple episodes ago when I went to that mall. No, I went to the rest stop at first, right? The uh, Judy Bloom rest stop, and I got these uh, this love corn. Well, I, I got a I got a a, a single use pickle. Wait. They're all well. Pickles are all single use essentially, but it's just it's a single uh, package pickle. You know what I'm talking about, anyway. But I also got some of this stuff called Love Corn, and I I forgot. Remember at the end of that show, I'm like, what is it called? Love nuts? Because it's very similar to corn nuts, but they're a bit smaller than corn nuts, and uh, it's really good. And then we were at Whole Foods, right across the street from Freakin' Vegan, and I got some uh, more Love Corn. I prefer the. Uh, original flavor, the sea salt, without all the heavy flavoring, but that's just me. So I, I really, I've really been enjoying it. So I'm like, hey, listen, I should order some online. I, I let me go on Amazon and get some Love Corn because I like it. It's a, it's a great snack. So I'm looking for those bags, and I think I'm seeing those big bags. You know, the fairly big bags. And it's like you get a box of twenty. 
for $18. I'm like, wait a second, that's that's an amazing deal. Like, these things usually cost probably, like, I don't know, 5 to $7 per bag. I don't know how much these things are. It's expensive these days. Like $18 for 20 Wow, that's great. It must be like a, a Black Friday deal or something. <laughs> so I just got the box in the mail today, and the box <laughs> seemed a little small. I open it up. It's this little tiny box, 20 bags of love corn, and each bag is tiny, 0.7 ounces, not even an ounce. A tiny little, it's about four inches by four inches, a little tiny bag. So anyway, I mean, I thought it was a great deal. As it is, it's fine. These are, what are these, uh, <coughs> a dollar each for these little things. That makes sense these days. But I thought I was getting like the deal of the century, and I got... I I, I, I I was brought back down to earth when I finally saw my love corn purchase. Anyway, it's all right. It's a good it's good stuff, you know. Very simple ingredients. It only has uh, corn, sunflower oil, and sea salt. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. Anyway, I would like to thank you so much for. Patching in to this episode of the Overnightscape. Much appreciated. So happy you are listening. Thanks for listening. Uh, I'm your host, Frank Edward Nora, here in Nutley, New Jersey, in November 2023. You there somewhere else in the future, near or far. We're here in OnSug Radio, broadcasting from inside the book. Find all the information at onsug.com, O-N-S-U-G.com. You can find all the latest shows, many other hosts on this channel besides me. And uh, I've been doing this for over 20 years now, and this channel has over 14,000 hours of great content, dozens and dozens of different hosts, and it's all collected inside this book. At onsug.com, that's O-N-S-U-G, it's short for Overnight to Keep Underground. At OnSug.com, you can find uh, also uh, the book itself. You can buy the 2021 edition as a print-on-demand book. And uh, the four-day weekend, I spent huge amounts of time working on the next edition, and I am getting closer, getting closer to the next edition being ready, also as a print-on-demand book. Uh, so you can grab that, and you can also always download the PDF of the book for free. Since we are a non-commercial project, we uh, we don't uh, use money in terms of the project. We've all kept our day jobs essentially, and uh, we love we love doing it, and uh, love the idea that we can uh, preserve our thoughts, our personalities, and our um, perspectives on things. And sort of, it's 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 hard to put into words, but like I know, listening to other people doing shows like this, you get this sense of connection, this sense of camaraderie with the other with the other people and there's something very big important good about that but it, it sort of lacks a word to describe it that sort of sense of connection and the transfer of ideas and uh, right the sense of companionship you get from it it's there's so much going on with it so I feel it's something that I feel is uh a very good thing to be involved with. I'm so happy that this project's still going and that we're still uh, doing it. And uh, this next edition of the book is going to be another step towards helping preserve it on into the future. What you can do to help, of course, is spread the word and help to preserve things. 
it's a big future, perhaps branching timelines, and uh, anything you can do to uh, preserve it. The idea is that all of our shows have been preserved for free forever, and uh, at any given time period, you know, there'll be different situations. Right now, in terms of digital media, you have to always be uh, uh, transferring the data to newer uh, uh, formats and uh, because any any uh, digital format will break down eventually the data is pure ones and zeros but it needs to continually be brought forward transferred to new storage devices and new storage methods in order to survive so that's something you can help us do and also just spread the word right now the onsug radio is uh, somewhat of an obscure project but hopefully it should become less obscure because i do think it will stand out eventually Perhaps after all of us on the channel now are gone, reincarnated or back to whatever level of reality we really are at, um, I do think it's going to stand out. I do think it's going to have, it's going to be known because it is so unique and so different and quite vast, uh, actually, with a, over 10,000 episodes, 14,000 hours. And I do think the material we have on here is actually largely unique. I think there's, there's, the perspectives, the information, and so many other things, really, you can't get anywhere else. So that's why I'm hoping. I'm doing everything I can to get, keep everything organized, keep everything preserved, and make sure it can be preserved into the future. And then I probably won't be here, and none of us on the channel now will be here uh, to see how it all pans out. Unless, of course, we get that time machine, and we can go into the future and see, see how it worked out. And if it didn't, then we can change things and try again continually meddling with the time stream never seems like a good idea but that doesn't stop anyone from doing it does it assuming it's real it's real come on time travel has to be real why would we have so many movies about it if it wasn't real eventually <laughs> anyways there you go uh usually at this point I, I i mention a show called overnight escape central it is currently uh on on a hiatus uh pq as I mentioned, as I talked about extensively on last episode, PQ River uh, is taking a break, perhaps a permanent break, from uh, doing Overnight Escape Central each week. It's a show that has had a, a new topic every week for 13 years, exactly 13 years. He, he ended the show a, a day before the 13th anniversary. It was wild. Uh, 677 episodes. Absolutely amazing show that will continue in one form or another. If anyone would like to step up and host the show, uh, please let me and PQ know. We haven't heard anyone from anything, any, anyone, anything from anyone yet, but we're hoping we might. If not, I am looking into bringing it back perhaps in January, perhaps as a monthly format. I do want to continue it, though. So uh, I just need to figure out a way to do it that's not going to become like overwhelming to me because I'm pretty much uh, full up when it comes to projects at the moment. And even doing that exit ramp once a month is a, it's a really quite takes quite a lot out of me. So I need to figure out a way of doing this other monthly show, perhaps. Anyway, I'm still working on it. I'm ruminating on it in the back of my mind. I'm thinking about it. And, of course, next month, December, is all the holiday stuff, all the crazy stuff. So January, I think, is going to be coming back. But if anyone out there wants to take it over, let me know. We can do it right away. Yes. And now we are going to shift on over to 
a ballyhoo of nocturnal proportions known as The Other Side. In the adventure of a nighttime, two friends are trying to save the world from a creeping gloom that will turn everyone's dreams into nightmares. Cartoon Network's Cartoon Theater presents Twice Upon a Time. Premiering Saturday at 8 on Cartoon Network.
Hey, kids. Hey. Hey, kid. Hey, hey, you hard of hearing, Ace? What do you want? You want to make 10 bucks? Shove off, pervert. Now, wait a minute. I 
just shine And I didn't fall for one side The depth of my crime The most perfect invention That still kept impeccable time single we already saw the cover ideas this is for the album and it's very interesting with this blown off leg for the title the title sort of very uh, expository like, like an illustration and but it's also the, the title of the album it's really I think I think it's a good idea have and it, and it has the single okay typed on the front okay slow down would you like an orange Gina yeah no no the orange Gina must be in the small bottoms that they get. You know, I visited the perfect storm up in Chesapeake. It is enormous. Some, uh, Something more than just a regular uh, performance type video. Uh, the budget shouldn't be too high. I'd like to keep it simple, but you know, I'll uh, I'll make it interesting, hopefully. And uh, I think. Uh, um. Um. I, I I can't go along with this. First of all, what the song says and the lyrics say, I want it to coincide with the video portrays, okay? For instance, there is a, a saying or a connotation to a couch, 
I really think couches and dead ants flying into windows should be coming into the scene because I want this image of a big highway with big industrial signs and I want it to be all within the realms of the song. Do you know what I'm trying to say to you? Well, it's kind of completely uh, you know, contradictory to what I and just to describe what I wanted to do. Well, see, listen, you, might, you might be the director, but I really don't care what you think. This is my video, and I'll do with what I want. And if I don't agree with you, <clears throat> I will tell you, and you will obey. Now, the members of the group I also want to be mentioned, okay? Like Minyan Van Hall, Hazy Norberti, Martin Verever, and Nim Monique, and Dan St. Bro Blood Brother. Now, I want You want their names on the screen? Yes, I do. I don't necessarily disagree with that. I think they're good names. They're interesting. Yes, I want them to be. I want them to be credited. Cheyenne, they're wonderful cookies. Yes, they are beautiful. Cookies, 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 cookies. These cookies are full of energy and nutrition. They have deep, dark chocolate chunks of chocolate, and they also have peanut butter for protein which really makes my creative juices flowing. And it has a bumpy personality, just like me. So, that's why I consider Cheyenne cookies my brain food. Mm -hmm. Would you like one? Sure. How do you like it? It's okay. The, ne the next excerpt is taken from original tape W254. Yeah, well, at least you know that you're being taped. That's even worse. Yeah. Why? Because we wa we'd rather not know we're being taped. Yeah. So you have a mystery to find out. A mystery to find out. Well, are you still, do you still really aware of the microphone? Nope, I don't think it's a grenade. <laughs> <laughs> you sound like you know a lot about wars and, and ammunition we and do. stuff. Oh, really? Hmm, could be. Oh, how come? I read comic books. War comic books? Not much war comic books. She's reading comic books. Yeah? I mean, does Walt Disney have stuff like that on now? Well, what do you think? Well, I haven't seen Walt Disney for a while. Well, last night I had about Johnny Shiloh. Who's Johnny Shiloh? A drummer boy. A drummer boy. Yeah. Thirteen. He was in the last three, three minutes. Three minutes. That doesn't do much. I know. Mm. What time's Six thirty. Six thirty at Channel Eleven and seven thirty on Channel Two. Oh, and four. No, just four. Oh, so what time do you usually watch it? I never do. You never I do. Only, only something to do with animals. The cartoons. Yeah, I only watch it when like it's a mystery. I don't. Do they still do it at the beginning with um, Adventureland and Fantasyland yeah, no. and all that? They don't. They don't do that anymore. Unless, unless they're showing me about Walt in, in Disneyland. Oh, I see. 
So, uh, what time did you say that you watch it, Kay? 6.30 during supper. 6.30, so it's over at 7.30? Right. And do you have to go to bed then? No. What time do you go to bed? I stay up at <laughs> I go to bed at 8.30, and sometimes I hang around so I don't want to go to bed. <laughs> My sister always comes in, she wakes me up, so I, I, go, I get to sleep around 10 o'clock. 10 o'clock? And what time do you get up? I get to sleep around 11 o'clock. I, I keep reading comic books. I can't stop. <laughs> I go to, I, I get up whenever I want to. I, ask, I keep asking my sister what time it is. She gets up at 7 o'clock. So I, get, I want to get up at 7.30. I want to get up at 8 Yeah, and you have to be at school when? 8.30. Sometimes. And of course, when I heard you my guinea pigs, I was here at 8.30. Well, what kind of guinea pigs did you have? I had. Oh, you have, yeah. Mm, well, a brown one. One was female, one was a male. Yeah. And they had babies. The babies weren't died. Mm-hmm. And What's going on over there? Why not? Why not? Yeah, you want to talk about comic books? Yeah, why not? Uh, I don't know. It's up to you. Well, you wanted to talk about something more interesting. What's more interesting? Any ideas over there? Whispers? No. I didn't even understand what he said. What I said? What he said. Oh. Well, but what ideas do you have, Karen? Hmm. Like, when you're with your girlfriends, what do you talk about most? I talk about my knees, because I go inside and never with my girlfriends. You talk about your what? I always go inside with my guineas. Oh, you still have them. No. No. And one. 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 The male. The other one. The female, I mean. The male. The male. Yeah. She is. Killed? How did that happen? Jay. How did you kill him? Uh, no. Uh, no. Jay had them. She, she went near the heater and she was burned. Oh. Did she get out? She was going to have babies yeah. in a couple of weeks. A couple of months. And she got burned on the heater. Yeah. That's sort of ugly. Oh, yeah. So she killed two of the babies and... Oh, can I ask you for skeleton? No, she, I think it's all buried. I wish I could bury it. Oh, cool. That'll be easier. So I've got a... We buried... I found a bird and I kept it for... We've kept it for four days. And so then we buried it. You can probably have a skeleton. But we can't... My mother won't let us dig it up. Huh? Then they're... Hmm. Rock. Never want rocks. Dig it up. Well, she. So when she's away, I'll take off the rock, dig it up, take the skeleton, and go home. What do you do with it? Well, I'll put it in my, in my, in my, in my, in my, in my dinosaur book. He's broken me. Pretend it's a prehistoric bird. A bird? Why not? Well, it won't have wings. It isn't prehistoric. <laughs> so? It's a modern bird. You have to start someplace. It's a modern pig. What do you, what do you, what do you think? I'll find a I'll find a skeleton of a Tyrannosaurus Rex or something. Why not? <laughs> In your own backyard. <laughs> oh, good.
Bluebeard!
Taping up your video is as easy as this with the HR7100 Video Recorder from JVC. With color-coded feather touch controls, fast shuttle search, a 10-day timer, and full-function remote control, JVC's HR7100 is simply great video, and its very affordable price makes it great video value, too. The HR7100, simplicity in motion from JVC. Available at Six Points TV and Video, Video Express, and Video Trend. Electra Home VCRs have all the features you want. 18-function remote, two-week, eight-program timer, cable tuning, and more. Electra Home solid-state circuitry and five-motor direct drive that eliminate up to 500 mechanical parts that can fail. For responsive controls and dependable performance, Electra Home VCRs, the performance you want and more. K-M-L. I'm the father of the bride. The man who has to pay for all this. For a wedding gift, I gave each of my angels the new Sony Betamax SL5000. The simplest and easiest to use. Its advanced front-loading system is just amazing. It even has remote control and beta scan. But the real genius of this Betamax is its price. The Sony Betamax is only $699 during KML's store-wide sale. Available at all five locations. And to you, Donald, for suggesting that I take up flying, I leave you my airline. A lousy airline? <laughs> to you, Suzanne, uh -huh. who like hotel rooms, I leave my hotel chain. Uh -huh. <laughs> With my hotel chain. <laughs> and to you, Douglas, who advised me to buy a Fisher VHS video recorder. With wireless remote, nine-program timer, I leave my Fisher VCR. Oh, no! He got the Fisher! Yeah, it's gotta be a hoax! <laughs> it's gotta be a Fisher, you old buzzard. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> In times past, only the wealthy could afford a forehead cable-ready VCR with multi-event programming and a dockable remote control with channel change. However, JVC has just announced a breakthrough in top-quality video, the new HRD150, a remarkable VCR for practically everyone at an extremely remarkable price. The HRD150 from JVC. Within your TV lies enormous potential. Hook it up to a technologically advanced Hitachi VCR and watch what happens. At the touch of a button, Digital TV Guide scans the stations 12 at a time. Picture in a picture lets you watch a TV program and a pre-recorded video. And Super VHS offers high resolution capability. So do you want a VCR or do you want Hitachi? Hitachi. Science for the senses. Radio Shack has something for everyone this Christmas. Like this compact VHS VCR with 13-function wireless remote control for just $449.95. Or a stylish one-piece personal telephone in your choice of white or brown, just $19.95 each. Try a complete stereo system with speakers, turntable, dual cassette deck, and receiver for only $179.95. Radio Shack, this Christmas, it's your electronic wonderland.
People who look for reliability in VCR look for Hitachi. Look at the difference in Hitachi's warranty. A full 24 months on parts at no extra cost. Double the competition. And inside, the heart of Hitachi's Luminar video is precision engineered of extra durable space age materials. Better engineered, best warranty. That's the Hitachi Touch. Available at most video stations. The video station, your number one home video special. The video station, with over 60 convenient Ontario locations. Sanyo breaks the price barrier on video cassette recorders with our price breaker sale. Buy the Sanyo model 3900 for only $599 with high-speed search in forward and reverse, instant freeze framing, remote control, fast rewind. Records programs up to three days in advance. LED clock, electronic tape counter. During the price breaker sale, it's just $599. You'd expect to pay a lot more. That's why we call it our price breaker. Available at all the video station stores. A phenomenon that's puzzled me is why some people settle for the ordinary when they could have the extraordinary. Perhaps its cause is simply a lack of knowledge. Fortunately, I've never had that problem. So choosing a home videotape recorder was relatively easy. I chose the Sony Betamax. For when I observed how it performed so many complex technological functions with such ease and simplicity, I no longer saw a machine. I saw genius. The genius of Betamax, only from Sony.